You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Titus 1, 5, 2, 11 through 14. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I can't tell you what a joy it is to be here tonight and to get the opportunity to just share about what God is doing in Fetier, to brag on our Lord and Savior. Um, But I just want to start tonight by saying how thankful I am for this church body. Um, We, I was born and raised in Lawrence, Kansas, and I love Lawrence, Kansas, And so to see God raising up churches like this that are crying out and worshiping him, there could not be any greater answer to my prayers than this. I also want to say thank you for the ways that you have practically partnered with us in prayer, in finances, in wisdom, in support. Some of you have come all the way to Turkey and visited us and the rest of you should. Um, There are many people that support with words. Free City Church has not been that. You have practically, regularly supported us. So I want to start my time this morning by just praying that God would richly bless this community. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, there would be no church here if you had not called people to yourself. And so we thank you for what you're doing. And Lord God, I pray that this church would be fruitful. Lord, for your name's sake, in the secret and in public, in the campus and at workplaces, Lord Lord God, I pray that the same thing that happened in our worship service a little bit ago would be crying out from every crevice in Lawrence, Kansas, and those who are just here temporarily, let them be invested with your spirit and sent out, Lord God, to do the same thing. Lord God, I pray that you would protect this church and richly bless them in Christ Jesus. I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, if Casey would have just allowed me to preach a scripture, it would have been much easier. Um, But he said that he didn't want me to spend as much time preaching this morning as he wanted me to more just spend this time giving testimonies to the evidences of God's grace that we're seeing in Fethiye, Turkey. Uh, And so you can pray that I don't preach and that I don't spend too much time. We've been in Turkey nine years And God has been amazing. 
His grace has been seen day in and day out. Those who don't know me, my name is David Taylor, born in Lawrence, my wife Monica, and then we have two children, Eliza and Solomon. Um, I always thought that we would always be in America. In fact, when Monica and I were first dating, I asked her, if you could do anything with your life, what would it be? And she said, I think my joy would be to, to live in a mud hut in Africa sharing the gospel. And I went, I think you're going to need to die to that if we get married. And I wasn't joking. And I, and I said, it, it's not that I don't care about missions. We're going to spend and sacrifice all of our lives to send missionaries and support missionaries. I just don't think that's us. And she said, whatever the Lord wills. I went to Turkey 10 years ago and went to a city called Fethiye. It's about the same size population-wise as Lawrence, Kansas, and I, it's gorgeous, and I looked over it, and I fell in love with it, and I asked a guy who was a local and had great English, and I said, okay, so how many churches are in a city like this? And he looked at me and said, there, what do you mean? There is no church. And I said, well, okay, how about like Catholic or Orthodox or Protestant or weird ones? What, what is there in this city? And he said, there's no church in this city or the next city or the next city or the next city. And I had never been confronted. I've heard of unreached and unchurched and ungospelized, but I had never been confronted with that reality face to face. And I remember calling Monica from Turkey and saying, Babe, I, I don't think it's an option. We have to come here. If we don't come here, who will share the gospel? And God kindly gave us the support that we needed to be able to go. And so with the rest of my time, I want to brag on God's amazing grace. God is building his church in a little city called Fethiye in Turkey, in which has not had a gospel-proclaiming church in maybe thousands of years. As I share stories of God's grace, I want to do it in a way that honors the multi-layers multi upon which God pours it out. God has been faithful to me personally as we have been on mission. He's been faithful to my family. He's been faithful to the lost. He's been faithful to our city. There are some things that are public and there are some things that are hidden. And in all of it, in all of the crevices, God's grace has been sustaining it all. So as we continue, I want to encourage you by sharing many stories about what God is doing but I want to start with the many things upon which those incredible, fruitful stories were built upon. I remember my son got this little, maybe you've seen it, they're called grass heads. Uh, their school gave it to them, and it's just like this dirt ball, and you apparently water them, and over time they grow grass hair. Have you seen those? And then they've got little faces on them. 
And so Solomon brought it home and he's like, look, my teacher gave me this and I'm so excited and we're going to grow this, this grass head thing. And I, and I said, okay, so here's what we got to do. We got to put it in the sun and we got to water it. And we went in there and we watered it and he sat there going. Does it need more water? And I was like, no, that's it for now. And he waited and he waited. And in the first day, there was no grass. Seeds produce fruit. But it happens over time. And most of church planting, most of the gospel stories that just exalt the name of Christ don't happen overnight. And the reason I want to start way back here is so that you see yourselves in the mission story of God that's happening across the nations. God may be here in the secret back row of the church, be calling you to plant a, a church in a city that has never heard of the gospel for thousands of years, and he's doing it in the quiet of you surrendering today. It starts here. I have seen many short-term missionaries come to our city and totally misunderstand missions as though fruit just pops up out of nowhere, as if people have just been waiting their whole lives to turn to Christ and they were just waiting for somebody to whisper some weird gospel and they would instantly believe that's not the case. People don't want him. And their hearts need to be pierced by a faithful, consistent gospel. I remember seeing these missionaries come and they got on our local buses called Dolmishes. And they sat in there and they were only going to be there for a few days. And they finally just were so excited to share the gospel. They stood up and they said, all of you who do not believe in Jesus will go to hell. And everything that God has done is written in this book. And if you'll just believe in this book, you'll be saved. And then they quickly got off the bus. And they came and told me, we shared the gospel today. I mean, they came with heads up high, and they said, we shared the gospel. And I said, you don't know Turkish. And they go, yeah. And I said, what'd you say? And they told me exactly what they said. I said, nobody understood you. And what did you give them? They said, we gave them a Bible. In what language? English. They don't understand that. And yet they felt so justified as though this short-term thing that they called the missions trip would honor God. That is not an evidence of God's grace. Our desire is that there will be in this church and in all the churches across the world and in Little Fetier that there would be fruit that honors and glorifies God but the work of doing this is long-term gospel work. Many throughout the world have a picture of missions that consists of a short-term trip where at best we preach a form of the gospel, see supposedly people saved, and then they leave as though they will meet them in heaven. This picture of missions is as grotesque as if 
a new married couple had a baby, tossed it to the street, and said, we're hoping to see them at their KU graduation party in a few years, and yet don't care for them or lay down their lives to see them grow. Jesus commanded us to go into all nations, including Fete and Lawrence, Kansas, to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he commands us what? And teach them to observe all that I have commanded. Discipleship in the kingdom of God is not a conversion day. It's a converted life. It is not a one-time decision, but rather a transformation of our decision-making heart that perseveres in faith to the end where either we die or Christ breaks through the clouds. Church, let us understand that this burden and responsibility with missions that exists in every city across the world, missions local and foreign, is a long-term call with many ups and downs. First, we are called to preach the gospel. Let us all know it, believe it, treasure it, and proclaim it. Yes! Second, we are called to baptize them into a living, vibrant church in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And third... We are not called to leave them, but to teach them all that God has commanded. This responsibility of missions is a requirement and exemplified throughout the New Testament to plant churches, establish leaders, and teach, 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 teach the doctrines of Scripture and how they apply to life. Teach how to pray and to love and to fight and to spend and to serve and to marry and to talk and to evangelize and to be pure and to read and to play and to vote and to learn and to raise children and to do business and to forgive and to counsel and to partner and to rest and to create and how to live all of our lives for the glory of God because the grace of God speaks into every aspect of life, and his way of doing it is better than ours. As I share stories this morning, my hope is not for it simply to be an Instagram light that seems far off and glamorous and easy. Some stories are basic, and others are tremendous, but they are all a part of God's saving preserving, sustaining, transforming grace. Today, today, as I share evidence of God's grace in Turkey, I want us to see it in three main ways. The worker, the seed, the harvest. If you need a visual, think of my son's weird grass head. As I begin, I want to just say one last time the scripture from Titus. The first part, Titus 1.5, has felt like a personal call for me in Fetier, and the second has been our prayer. Titus 1.5 says this, This is why I left you in Crete. This is Paul writing 
to Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put into order what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul went and preached the gospel, but Paul knew very well the work is not done. There is still, we're just at the beginning. People are just starting to believe, and now they need to grow and flourish and multiply and be ready until Christ comes. This, Titus, is why I wrote to you, and I left you in Crete. Anybody who is a pastor or a missionary or somebody who's giving their life, often you are looking for where you could go next. (laughs) And the Lord is like, this Casey, this Ethan, this is why I left you in Lawrence. And you're like, "Mm." sometimes there is such a desire to go. This is why I left you. I left you there so that you could put what remained into order And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then later, as he's talking to a church, to Titus, in a church context and where there is a church community growing, he says this, for, this is chapter 2, 11 through 14, for the grace of God has appeared Evidences of God's grace. It's appeared. We're seeing it. Why? Because it's bringing salvation for all people. It's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. To live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify, listen to this, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. What does the grace of God look like in Lawrence, Kansas? What does the grace of God look like in Fethiye, Turkey? It looks like salvation going to all people. It looks like those people renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions. It looks like people living self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age. And it looks like people waiting for Jesus. The worker. I was born a sinner. I was born at a young age feeling like I had feelings for other men. I dealt with homosexual feelings and didn't know what that meant. I did things I shouldn't have done. And I told myself, surely being born in a Christian home, this is wrong. I just need to make commitments. I won't do what I shouldn't do. And none of my commitments made a difference. Knowing that it's wrong didn't save me. Muslims know it's wrong. The law of God beat me down telling me my flesh was wrong until it finally led me by the grace of God to a Savior who could actually transform me. Transform me. 
Those desires are dead and gone on the cross. Jesus wanted to plant a church in Fethiye, and for some reason he chose a sinner like me who was stuck in his sin and his best works with his own self-righteousness, which in God's sight was just filthy rags. And you know what God chooses to do? Wash my feet. I have zero to boast about today. Zero. He saved me from my sin. He washed my feet. He died for my sins on my cross, on my mountain of Golgotha. And he changed my heart and gave me his and gave me grace to see my Savior. He taught me that an electrician was not a second-class Christian minister. And as I served as an electrician for 11 years, he taught me that he was pleased with me and that I was called to minister to those other men and that the gospel was still for workplaces. And he wouldn't let me cheat on my time cards because he loved Fetier. He showed me I had a father who sees me in secret and loves me and cares for me. He showed me that there's no such thing as something that's unseen because he sees me always. He sees you always. He taught me to love the local church when I wanted to run from it. When I thought, we got to get out of the church and go try to minister to the people because nobody wants an old church. I remember that one day I told Monica, what if the Lord called me to be a pastor? And she said, oh God, please, no. <laughs> and he made us fall in love with his bride and showed us that serving his bride was like serving himself. He made us love her, even though so many times she hurt us. You know getting hurt from the church hurts more than just getting hurt from a worldly friend. But she's still beautiful. She's worth giving our lives to. He taught us faithful, quiet, uninstagrammable service was beautiful to him. He gave me a treasure of a wife who loved Jesus more than she loved me, which meant that she would love me. He allowed us to be pure even when we courted. And anybody who's young knows that that's grace alone. He has given us great grace to fight for sexual purity and faithfulness even to this day. He has given us grace to raise children and do finances, to host people and serve the church, to make sacrifices, to stay up late and fight where we need to against the devil, the world, and the flesh, to help each other, counsel each other, love each other, pray for each other, pursue each other, and confront each other when needed, 
and forgive each other. Why? Because God loves Fetier. Because God has ransomed a bride from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And those little things in the back row matter. Part of God's international church planting strategy is to make and form local men and women of God who will be faithful in the mundane, boring tasks. I mention these details because God conforming us personally is part of his process of him planting a church internationally. Let us, it's a command, let us never despise small beginnings. These are evidences of his grace. Many of us are praying for the gospel to spread across the world, but in answer to your prayer, don't be surprised when he starts in your bedroom. And what you look at on your phone and what you do in secret. In 2012, he led us to Fethiye, Turkey. Turkey was the bedrock of Christian growth after Christ's resurrection. The seven churches of Revelation are still there. Ruins are still there. And you can visit those churches. But it was not among the ruling Turks that are there now. But rather the Greeks that have been removed. The Turks have never as a whole claimed Christianity. They are as a whole 99% Muslim and view Christianity as an imperialistic movement which they must oppose if they're going to hold to their culture. Just to give an example of this, we were looking at adopting a child and on a government website, it said that there are three main things that put our orphans at risk. Sex trafficking, the organ mafia, and foreign missionaries. They don't want you. They don't want me. And Jesus is being found by a people who weren't searching. Turkey has been far from glamorous. God has sustained us in Turkey despite hundreds of oppositions. When there is little fruit, hard, unorganized, unappreciated work, and a opposition from every direction. I have been threatened multiple times. One man held a knife to a member of our church's throat and said, I have saved this for your pastor. People have told me that they wished I was never born. They have mocked, insulted, opposed me more than I can count. I used to close my window shades in our office as I would prepare sermons when we first opened our church building because there were so many death threats, I thought a sniper might shoot me as I worked on a sermon. I have ministered in many ways alone for many years. But God has used every, as Spurgeon says, God has used every wave of suffering to crash me upon the rock of ages. Even suffering was grace. Forming me, shaping me, molding me 
because he's ransomed a bride from every nation, tribe, and tongue. I share this not to boast of strength. I have tried to leave Fetier more times than I can count in my mind. I remember at one point I felt so exhausted from the work and I went and said, Lord God, would you release me? Would you just let us go back? We're exhausted, we're lonely, we're tired. Nobody wants us. Let us shake the dust off our shoes, Lord. And in one week, my three favorite churches called me. This was before I met Casey and Ethan. You're on the list now. And in that one week, they said, hey, David, I don't know if you're ever considering coming back to the States, ever. We just want you to know, there's a job for you if you ever want to come back. And I went, the Lord's calling me home. And then I hung up the phone, and then another phone call came that same week. And David, we had a dream. It was so weird. Same thing. Third person called, and I went, okay, Lord, do you want us to leave? Silence. We could have left. But who would preach the gospel in Turkey? The grass head had no grass yet. And I remember it was the first time I've, since being born again, it was the first time I ever cussed. I went to the Lord in prayer, and I went, Lord, would you have us go? And I just felt this firm no. And I went, damn. <laughs> and I repented afterwards, both of my wanting to run and of my swearing. Our family has suffered illness, loneliness, oppression, hatred, rejection, disappointment, and more. But God has chosen to save people in Fethiye, Turkey, and Lawrence, Kansas. <clears throat> it would be naive for us to think that Turkey is so unreached only because they need more missionaries. Turkey is unreached because there is spiritual strongholds that have been in place for centuries and far too little gospel proclamation by people who are willing to suffer. I had an, a Muslim imam come to the church and he said, I was wondering if you would give me courses in Hebrew. And I said, what do you want to know Hebrew for? And he said, we're learning new forms of cursing and blessing people. And I said, excuse me? And, and he said, David, the sword and the gun and the missile and the drone quote is over. Tell me who you want me to curse and we'll kill him. He literally was practicing witchcraft and said, if you want a woman, I'll get her husband dead within a week. He'll have cancer, he'll be dead. He'll be in a car accident. Why does God want us to go through all of this type of hardship or to leave, have us leave our families and cities and cultures and comfort and Walmart? It's because Jesus is planting his church 
infetier. He needs a worker. And don't take yourself off the list. And the worker needs seed. <clears throat> Missions today is full of shows. Too much money, service, nice people. But for people to be saved, they need to hear about Jesus Christ, the only mediator between God and man. The gospel, period, is the power of God unto salvation for every nation, tribe, tongue, time, and culture. Agree with me on this. Church, social justice is not enough. Feeding the poor is not enough. Holding a service is not enough. Good music is not enough. Going overseas is not enough. Having a dream is not enough. Having been healed from a disease is not enough. Being slain in whatever spirit you call it is not enough. Islam offers it all. But they have no Christ. Jesus offers, Jesus and Jesus alone offers a relationship and reconciliation with God. Today and forever. The gospel of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, and soon return is the power of God unto salvation. And when preached, God saves the hardest of hearts. Do not grow weary of doing good, for in time there will be a harvest. We're not planting this church in Fetier for us. I say it all the time. This church is for my son. This is for the next generation. We are going to fight, and we're going to fight, and we're going to fight like David in battle, praying that Solomon builds the temple. In Fetier, there was a smoldering wick of a Christian community. They were scattered, they were hidden, they were doctrinally weak, and yet the gospel was starting to be preached, and they were understanding it and hearing. In the small city of Fetier, in the nine years that we have been there, we have seen the church be gathered and unite as one. If that was it, that'd be enough. We gather all throughout the week and people who were enemies love each other. Kurds love Turks and Turks love Kurds. Enemies become brothers and gather at the table of our Lord. There is only one church in Fetier, so the Orthodox come, the Catholics come, the atheists come, the Muslims come, the deists come, the Protestants come, and all the weirdos come. And you know what's so beautiful is that if there was another church in our city, I think most of the people would leave. But right now they have no other option. And this is so beautiful because what we have learned is that 
When there's no other option, you can either just not go to church or just die to your preferences. And people are starting to die to their preferences. Here's what we've said. This is not 20 different churches. We love Jesus. He's the head of this church, and his word is our absolute authority. You can bring all of your baggage, but nothing's going to push this church unless it's written in his word. It's not my church. This is not an American church. This is not a British church. This is not a Ukrainian church or a Russian church or an Asian church. This is not a Turkish church. This is Christ's church, and all of us have to die and become like him. And what's been the most amazing thing is everybody's like, well, I'll do that. I mean, I, I won't die for you. But I'll, I'll die for Christ. And people that used to be so divided are now going, I love the Lord and I love you and I thought you were my enemy and, and I'm growing with you and I'm learning about God's word and I'm, I'm, I'm changing. They have been willing to lay down cultural, denominational, ethnic differences. There has been multiple opportunities for us to divide, and yet God has preserved his church. The wolves have been removed from the church. False prophets have been removed. Unrepentant sinners who don't want Jesus have been removed. God has kept his church, united his church, and is purifying his church. Fetier was not excited to have us in their city. We have been called witches, spies, American revolutionists, and things that are not G-rated. <clears throat> we were removed from our places of worship. We were refused meeting places. And yet... We found this tiny little hole in the wall that used to be an old bar that was a church space. It's the one we're trying to buy right now. And literally they rented it to us because it was falling apart. And they said, yeah, if you want that and you'll pay us rent, you can have it. And what was amazing is as we were restoring it, we began to find these old ancient walls and it was amazing to find that out of all the places in our entire city, we happened to be in the exact spot where there used to be a church hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and we just happened to be in the middle of it. God was restoring his church. God has granted us favor with the chief of police the mayor, the governor, other religious and political leaders. God has granted us a building and we have open, public, legal church gatherings where the gospel is heard. We open up all the windows and we worship as loud as we can. And as we come out, people say, that was a good service today in Turkish. He has granted us favor in our neighborhood that when we first got there, they didn't want us. I remember I, our church space 
was there's a, the, the rest of the church, of the old ancient church has been filled with somebody else renting that space and they just got removed about eight months ago. And I didn't know they got removed and when they got removed, I came to our neighborhood where the church is and all the neighbors came running to me. David, 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 David. And I thought, I'm dead. Something went bad. Uh, what's going on? And as they came to they go, you have the church. It's going to be yours. And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, the renter's out. We're gaining back the church. And they're like, just got out of the mosque. And I was like, what are you doing? Keep going. God is establishing his church through the proclamation of the gospel. Bibles are given away. Marriages and families are being mended. Individuals are being set free. People are being discipled. Churches are uniting across the country. Pastors are being trained. Churches are being planted throughout the country. And the best part is that God is gathering his sheep. His name was Zeki. Zeki ran from trouble came to Fetier running from a past he didn't want to mention and was confronted with the gospel. And he fought against it, struggled against it, denied it until finally the grace of God broke him down. And when we found out what his past was, we found out that he was a hitman. He literally was hired and murdered people all over the place. God saved him, radically saved Zeki. And now we could have just left and said, hope to see you later, but he needed a church to grow up in. And I will never forget the day when those whom he used to murder found out who murdered their friend. They found out who his son was they all gathered around his son. They dragged him. They surrounded him. They called him on the phone and said, your son's in front of us. Turn yourself in or you're dead. Your son's dead. And he said, I'm in another country. I can't get there quick enough. Boom! His son was dead. They sent a picture with his blood spilling. And he began to shake and quiver. And he said, and I remember going, just trying to hold him, real strong man. I was holding his back, and he said, with one finger, if I call one man with one finger, all my son's murderers will be executed tonight. But that man died on the cross. It's done. Look, that back row matters because he's saving Zeki. Oktai tried to murder himself by cutting his wrists and he cut both down deep and he bled out into an entire room where it began to actually spread out. His whole body was white and God sustained him in that room for three days. That's a miracle. He came, barely heard the gospel and believed. His wife hated him. His family rejected him. I remember we were 
he became my Turkish teacher for years, and we would pray for his wife and pray for his wife. And I remember during one of the Bayrams, his wife was fully covered in her garb. She held the Quran, and she said, I know he's wrong, I know he's wrong, I know he's wrong. And then she said one day, David, I had a dream that I cannot get away from. There was a man that all I can say looked like Jesus, and there was a road between me and a light at the end, and all that was between me was my sin. And it was just so dirty that I couldn't pass from here to there. And he said, and this man swept a path toward me. What does that mean? That dream, let me just mark my words here, that dream didn't save her. It opened her ears to hear the gospel, and she heard the gospel, and now she's on staff at our church. Chetin. He was a Muslim, a devout Muslim. <clears throat> he went and did everything a Muslim should do until he found the religion empty and meaningless, and he became an atheist. Then he became such a strong atheist that he began to try to convert all of his Islamic friends. He was well-read. He began to share. He started sites. He became a communist leader. He was pushing, pushing, pushing. He said he used to go into churches and literally spit out before God and say, strike me dead if you're there, and spit on him. And what did God do? He gave him grace. While I'm gone, that man is running our church. He came to Fetier with a knife because his sister stole his house. And he was plotting her death. And he said, it wasn't until I read the gospel and heard what Jesus said on the cross. He said, I threw away the knife at the cross. And he said, he says that I should even love my enemies. And he prays for his sister. He talks with his sister daily and is praying for her salvation. There are people that have come from the Orthodox Church, from the Catholic Church, from Bethel, and they're being transformed by the gospel. They've been saying we've never known Jesus for who he really is. There's a man who wanted to get baptized, and he told me his name was Gurai. And he said, David, I have been abused and hurt, and I've been plotting something for 10 years. I need to do this one thing, and after I do it, I quickly need to be baptized. And I said, what are you planning on doing? And he said, just leave it between me and I'm just going to finish my old life. And I said, are you going to kill somebody? And he said, many people die from it. I said, how long have you been plotting this? I don't know what it was. And he said, 10 years. And I said, you do this and then want to get baptized, I will never baptize you. Repentance and faith. Water's not going to save you. Christ will save you 
You need to love even your enemies. And he goes, I gotta count the cost. This has been my whole life. This is what I've devoted all my time to. Within a week, he said, I was so confronted by the grace of God. I spent the nights weeping. I forgive him. I forgive him. I let it go. God is a better judge than me. I'm even praying for them now. And he completely let it go, finished it off, and was baptized within a couple months. The day I left, his son just told me, I finished reading the whole Bible, and I want to get baptized. I love Jesus. I want to give my whole life. He will be the first, second-generation Christian in our city. I have a whole list of more stories, and I'm just going to end with one. His name was Bahatin. He was an Islamic uh, imam. He moved to Fethiyeh. He heard that one of his friends was being uh, persuaded by this weird church, and he, as the Islamic leader, was going to come, and he said he wanted to correct us. It was one of, I was so terrified to have him come in. He came, and for the very first time, uh, he was there, and I, I was trying to just be incredibly respectful. He wanted to ask lots of questions, and I remember even, this has nothing to do with the gospel. I have to share it, though. But at the very first time he met my son, I was holding my son, Solomon. He was two, two years old, one years old, and uh, the, the man said, hello, young Solomon, and Solomon looked him in the face and just slapped him across the face. <laughs> That was the first time I met this guy, and I was like, I'm so sorry. And he, look, all we can say is the grace of God. He said, that, that, that son, your son stole my heart. He said, I decided I'm going to keep coming back to this church because I love that boy. He fought with us. He struggled with us. He told us, oh, you're misunderstanding Islam. Oh, it's not that. Oh, it's not that. Okay, no, no, our way is better. And he went back and forth and back and forth. And then finally he said, I think I got you. So Islam wants people to become better. And the better people they become, the more they will be loved and appreciated by God. But your God, he lets you be as bad as you want. And he just forgives you. And I was like, well, no, not really. And he said, no, 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 no. You, somebody could be a terrible sinner and you say that Jesus will forgive him. And I said, yes, God will forgive him through Christ. And he said, ha, terrible religion. And I said, Who do you, what do you think is just the worst sinner you've ever seen in your life, Baatin? And he said, those who abuse children. I said, I think I would agree with you. What should we do with them? Let's capture them. What should we do with them? And he said, I don't know. Hurt them. And I said, Let's just start by just, we'll just all get around him and just start punching him in the face as hard as we can. And he goes, justice. And I went, and then, and then let's, let's just keep going. Let's just tie him to a post and we'll take this big whip and we'll just start whipping him as hard as we can. And he goes, wow, yeah, I, I didn't know you guys did that. And I go, let's not stop there. Let's say like, oh, you thought you were so great. Let's tell him he's a king and let's take up those big thorns and let's make a crown and let's put it on his head. And he goes, wow, that's really weird. And I go, I don't take a, we'll take a rod and we'll just bash it on his head. And he goes, 
Why don't I go? And then we'll take a cross and we'll put it on his back and make him carry it up to the top of our mountain in Fetier. Then we'll take him to the top and then we'll strip him naked so that everybody looks at his shame and then we'll nail him to it and then we'll just sit there and watch him die. And he goes, that's grace. I didn't think he would deserve even that. I thought you were going too far. But Jesus took the place for that man. He goes, why didn't you tell me the cross from the beginning? And that man gave his life to the Lord, was baptized in one of the greatest baptisms I've ever seen in my life. And he went home to heaven a couple years ago. There is so much more to be done. The gospel is to be heralded. Schools need to be built. Hospitals need to be built. Businesses need to be made. Elders need to be raised up. Men and women of God need to be trained. Churches need to be planted. Disciples need to be made. People need to be saved. And yet, Fetier is only a small part of God's global kingdom coming to earth. So what about you? Where has God left you, Titus? How is God calling you to lay down your life? Don't be like me who said, it's surely not me. Foreign or local missions is for all of us. This is why I left you in Crete. This is, I don't know how long you're here. This right now is why you're here today. Don't waste this opportunity. I don't care if you're here a year or a week. Let this be you giving your life for the bride of Christ. Because if God can work in Fetier, Turkey, he can transform Lawrence, Kansas. His hand is not too short For what is impossible with men is possible with our God. Don't despise small beginnings. Stay faithful before God and do not grow weary in doing what is right. For in time, there will be a harvest. Because our Savior has redeemed for himself a bride. And this service right here is evidence of that grace. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this incredible time to come and to gather. Lord God, we could have been at the pub. We could have been in somebody's bedroom. We could have been wasting our lives and you called us here. Lord, help us to pick up our crosses and follow you. You're worth it. You're getting ready to break through the clouds and we're ready. We're waiting. And if we're not, make us that way. Jesus, burden us, I pray. Call us to what you're doing. God, would you make this church fruitful? Would you add to your number day by day by day? Those are being 
saved. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.